Chapter Nine of Dragons of the Air by Harry Seeley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Backbone or Vertebral Column. The backbone is a more deep seated part of the skeleton than the head. It is more protected by its position and has less varied functions to perform. Therefore it varies less in distinctive character within the limits of each of the classes of vertebrate animals than either the head or limbs. It is divided into neck bones, the cervical vertebrae, back bones, the dorsal vertebrae, loin bones, the lumbar vertebrae, the sacrum or sacral vertebrae which support the hind limbs, and the tail. Of these parts, the tail is the least important, though it reaches a length in existing reptiles which sometimes exceeds the whole of the remainder of the body and includes hundreds of vertebrae. It attains its maximum among serpents and lizards. In frogs, it is practically absent. In some of the higher mammals, it is a rudiment which does not extend beyond the soft parts of the body. The neck. The neck is more liable to vary than the back, with the habit of life of the animal. And although mammals almost always preserve the same number of seven bones in the neck, the bones vary in length between the short condition of the porpoise in which the neck is almost lost and the long bones which form the neck of the yama though even these may be exceeded by some fossil reptiles like tanistropheus in many mammals the neck bones do not differ in length or size from those of the back in others, like the horse and ox, they are much broader and larger. There is the same sort of variation in the bones of the neck among birds, some being slender like the heron, others broad like the swan. But there is also a singular variation in number of vertebral bones in a bird's neck. At fewest there are nine, which equals the exceptionally large number found among mammals in the neck of one of the sloths. Usually birds have 10 to 15 cervical vertebrae, and in the swan there are 23. Most of the neck bones of birds are relatively long, and the length of the neck is often greater than the remainder of the vertebral column. Reptiles usually have short necks. The common turtle has eight bones in the neck, ten in the back. The two regions are sharply defined by the dorsal shield. Their articular ends are sometimes cupped in front, in the neck, sometimes cupped behind, or convex at both ends, or even flattened or the articulation may be made exceptionally by the neural arch alone. Nine is the largest number of neck bones in existing lizards, and there are usually nine in crocodiles, 
so that reptiles closely approach mammals in number of the neck bones it is remarkable that the maximum number in a mammal and in living reptiles should coincide with the minimum number in birds therefore the number of cervical vertebrae as an attribute of mammal bird or reptile can only be important from its constancy german naturalists affirm on clear evidence that the solenhofen pterodactyls have seven cervical vertebrae in many specimens there can be no doubt about the number because the neck bones are easily distinguished from those of the back by their size but the number is not always easy to count as in birds the first vertebra or atlas in pterodactyls is extremely short and is generally if not always blended with the much longer second vertebra named the axis the front of the atlas forms a small rounded cup to articulate with the rounded ball of the basiocipital bone at the back of the skull the third and fourth vertebrae are longer but the length visibly shortens in the sixth and seventh sometimes the vertebrae are slender and devoid of strong spinous processes this is the condition in the little pterodactylus longirostris and in the comparatively large cycnoramphus phrasii in which there is a slight median ridge along the upper surface of the arch of the vertebra this condition is paralleled in birds with long necks especially wading birds such as the heron other ornithosaurs such as ornithocerus from the cretaceous rocks have the neck much more massive the vertebrae are flattened on the underside the arch above the nervous matter of the spinal cord has a more or less considerable transverse expansion and may even be as wide as long these vertebrae have proportions and form such as may be seen in vultures or in the swan in either case the form of the neck bones is more or less bird-like and the neural spine may be elevated especially in pterodactyls with long tails one of the most distinctive features of the neck bones of a bird is the way in which the cervical ribs are blended with the vertebrae they are small and each is often prolonged in a needle-like rod at the side of the neck bone in ornithocerus the cervical rib similarly blends with the vertebra by two articulations as in mammals so that it might escape notice but for the channel of a blood vessel which is thus enclosed in several of the older pterodactyls from solenhofen the ribs of the neck vertebrae remain separated as in a crocodile though still bird-like in their form anterior position and mode of attachment in terrapins and tortoises the long neck vertebrae have no cervical ribs the articular surfaces between the bodies of the vertebrae in the neck are transversely oval 
the middle part of this articular joint is made by the body of the vertebra its outer parts are in the neural arch in front this surface is a hollow channel often more depressed than in any other animals the corresponding surface behind is convex with a process on each side at its lower outer it is a modification of the cup and ball form of vertebral articulation which at the present day is eminently reptilian serpents and crocodiles have the articulations similarly vertical but in both the form of the articulation is a circle in lizards the articular cup is usually rather wider than deep when the cup and ball are developed in the vertebrae it differs from the vertical condition in pterodactyls in being oblique and much narrower from side to side only among crocodiles and hetaria is there a double articulation for the cervical rib though in neither order have rib or vertebra in the neck the bird-like proportions which are usual in these animals pterodactyls show no resemblance to birds in this vertebral articulation a bird has the corresponding surface concave from side to side in front but it is also convex from above downward producing what is known as the saddle-shaped form which is peculiarly avian being found in existing birds except in part of the back in penguins it is faintly approximated to in one or two neck vertebrae in man professor williston remarks that in the toothless pterodactyls of kansas the hinder ball of the vertebral articulation is continued downward and outward as a concave articulation upon the processes at its outer corners there are no mammals with a cup and ball articulation between the vertebrae so that for what it is worth the character now described in ornithosaurs is reptilian when judged by comparison with existing animals low down on each side of the vertebra at the junction of its body with the neural arch is a large ovate foramen transversely elongated and often a little impressed at the border which is the entrance of the air cell into the bone these foramina are often one-third of the length of the neck vertebrae in specimens from the cambridge greensand where the neck bones vary from three-quarters of an inch to about two and a half inches in length and in extreme forms are as wide as long the width of the interspace between the foramina is one-half the width of the vertebrae though this character varies with different genera and species several species from the solenhofen slate have the neck long and slender on the type of the flamingo in others the neck is thick and short in the scaphonathus crassorostris and pterodactylus spectabilis some genera with slender necks have the bones preserved with a curved contour such as might suggest a neck carried like that of a yama or a camel 
the neck is occasionally preserved in a curve like a capital s as though about to be darted forward like that of a bird in the act of striking its prey the genera of pterodactyls with short necks may have had as great mobility of neck as is found among birds named ducks and divers but those pterodactyls with stout necks such as dimorphodon and ornithocerus in which the vertebrae are large appear to have been built more for strength than activity and the neck bones have been chiefly concerned in the muscular effort to use the fighting power of the jaws in the best way the back the region of the back in a pterodactyl is short as compared with the neck and relatively is never longer than the corresponding region in a bird the shortness results partly from the short length of the vertebrae each of which is about as long as wide there is also a moderate number of bones in the back in most skeletons from Solenhofen, these vertebrae between the neck and girdle of hip bones number from 12 to 16. They have a general resemblance in form to the dorsal vertebrae in birds. The greatest number of such vertebrae in birds is 11. The number is small because some of the later vertebrae in birds are overlapped by the bones of the hip girdle, which extend forward and cover them at the sides, so that they become blended with the sacrum. This region of the skeleton in the dimorphodon from the lias is remarkable for the length of the median process, named the neural spine, which is prolonged upward like the spines of the early dorsal vertebrae of horses, deer, and other mammals. In this character they differ from living reptiles and parallel some dinosaurs from the weald. The bones of the back in Ornithocerus from the Cambridge greensand show the underside to be well rounded, so that the articular surfaces between the vertebrae though still rather wider than deep, are much less depressed than in the region of the neck. The neural canal for the spinal cord has become larger and higher, and the sides of the bone are somewhat compressed. Strong transverse processes for the support of the ribs are elevated above the level of the neural canal, at the sides of vertebrae compressed on the undersides, and directed outward between these lateral horizontal platforms is the compressed median neural spine which varies in vertical height the articulation of the ribs is not seen clearly isolated ribs from the stonesfield slate have double-headed dorsal ribs like those of birds in some specimens from the Solenhofen slate, like the Scaphonathus, in the University Museum at Bonn, dorsal ribs appear to be attached by a notch in the transverse process of the dorsal vertebra, which resembles the condition in crocodiles. 
Variations in the mode of attachment of ribs among mammals may show that character to be of subordinate importance. Von Meyer has described the first pair of ribs as frequently larger than the others, and there appear in Rhamphorhynchus to be examples preserved of the sternal ribs which connect the dorsal ribs with the sternum. Six pairs have been counted. A more interesting feature in the ribs consists in the presence behind the sternum, which is shorter than the corresponding bone in most birds, of median sternal ribs. They are slender V-shaped bones in the middle of the abdomen, which overlapped the ends of the dorsal ribs like the similar sternal bones of reptiles. Such structures are unknown among birds and mammals. There is no trace in the dorsal ribs of the claw-like process which extends laterally from rib to rib as a marked feature in many birds. Its presence or absence may not be important because it is represented by fibrocartilage in the ribs of crocodiles and may be a small cartilage near the head of the rib in serpents and is only ossified in some ribs of the New Zealand reptile Hatteria, so that it might have been present in a fossil animal without being ossified and preserved. Although the structure is associated with birds, it is possibly also represented by the great bony plates which cover the ribs in colonians, and combine to form the shield which covers the turtle's back. The structure is as characteristic of reptiles as of birds, but is not necessarily associated with either. There are two remarkable modifications of the early dorsal vertebrae in some of the Cretaceous pterodactyls. First in the genus Ornithodesmus, from the Weald, the early dorsal vertebrae are blended together into a continuous mass, like that which is found in the corresponding region of the living frigate bird, only more consolidated, and similar to that consolidated structure found behind the dorsal vertebrae, known as the sacrum, made by the blending of the vertebrae into a solid mass which supports the hip bones. Secondly, in some of the Cretaceous genera of pterodactyls of Europe and America, the vertebrae in the front part of the back are similarly blended, but their union is less complete. And in genera Ornithocerus and Ornithostoma, the former chiefly English, the latter chiefly American, the sides of the neural spines are flattened to form an oval articular surface on each side, which gives attachment to the flattened ends of their shoulder blade bones, named the scapulae. This condition is found in no other animals. Three vertebrae appear to have their neural arches thus united together. The structure so formed may be named the notarium to distinguish it from the sacrum. Sacrum 
for some mysterious reason the part of the backbone which lies between the bones of the hips and supports them is termed the sacrum among living reptiles the number of vertebrae in this region is usually two as in lizards and crocodiles there are other groups of fossil reptiles in which the number of sacral vertebrae is in some cases less and in other cases more there is perhaps no group in which the sacrum makes a nearer approach to that of birds than is found among these pterodactyls although there are more sacral vertebrae in some dinosaurs in birds the sacral vertebrae number from five to twenty-two in bats the number is from five to six in some solenhofen species such as pterodactylus dubius and p coci and p grandipelvis the number is usually five or six the vertebrae are completely blended the pneumatic foramina in the sacrum so far as they have been observed are on the undersides of the transverse processes while in the corresponding notarial structure in the shoulder girdle the foramina are in front of the transverse processes almost any placental mammal in which the vertebrae of the sacral region are ankylosed together has a similar sacrum which differs from that of birds in the more complete individuality of the constituent bones remaining evident the transverse processes in front of the sacrum are wider than in its hinder part so that the pelvic bones which are attached to it converge as they extend backward as among mammals the bodies of the vertebrae forming the sacrum are similar in length to those of the back each transverse process is given off opposite the body of its own vertebra but from a lower lateral position than in the region of the back in which the vertebrae are free the hip bones are closely united with the sacrum by bony union and rarely appear to come away from the sacral vertebrae as among mammals and reptiles though this happens with the lias pterodactyls in the stonesfield slate and solenhofen slate the slender transverse processes from the vertebrae blend with the ilium of the hip girdle and form a series of transverse foramina on each side of the bodies of the vertebrae in the cambridge greensand genera the part of the ilium above the acetabulum for the articular head of the femur appears to be always broken away so that the relation of the sacrum to the pelvis has not been observed this character is no mark of affinity but only shows that ossification obliterated sutures among these animals in the same way as among birds the great difference between the sacrum of a pterodactyl and that of a bird has been rendered intelligible by the excellent discussion of the sacral region in birds made by professor huxley 
he showed that it is only the middle part of the sacrum of a chicken which corresponds to the true sacrum of a reptile and comprises the five shortest of the vertebrae while the four in front correspond to those of the lower part of the back which either bear no ribs or very short ribs and are known as the lumbar region in mammals so that the lower part of the back becomes blended with the sacrum and thus reduces the number of dorsal vertebrae similarly the five vertebrae which follow the true sacral vertebrae are originally part of the tail and have been blended with the other vertebrae in front in consequence of the extension along them of the bird's hip bones this interpretation helps to account for the great length of the sacrum in many birds and also explains in part the singular shortness of the tail in existing birds the ornithosaur sacrum has neither the lumbar nor the caudal portions of the sacrum of a bird the tail the tail is perhaps the least important part of the skeleton since it varies in character and length in different genera the short tails seen in typical pterodactyls include as few as ten vertebrae in pterodactylus grandipelvis and p coci and as many as fifteen vertebrae in pterodactylus longirostris the tails are more like those of mammals than existing birds in which there are usually from six to ten vertebrae terminating in the plowshare bone but just as some fossil birds like the archaeopteryx have about twenty long and slender vertebrae in the tail so in the pterodactyl ramphorhynchus this region becomes greatly extended and includes from thirty-eight to forty vertebrae in dimorphodon the tail vertebrae are slightly fewer the earliest are very short and then they become elongated to two or three times the length of the early tail vertebrae and finally shorten again towards the extremity of the tail where the bones are very slender in all long-tailed ornithosaurians the vertebrae are supported and bordered by slender ossified ligaments which extend like threads down the tail just as they do in rats and many other mammals and in some lizards professor marsh was able to show that the extremity of the tail in ramphorhynchus sometimes expands into a strong terminal caudal membrane of four-sided somewhat rhomboidal shape he regards this membrane as having been placed vertically it is supported by delicate processes which represent the neural spines of the vertebrae prolonged upward they are about fifteen in number a corresponding series of spines on the lower border termed chevron bones equally long were given off from the junctions of the vertebrae on their undersides and produced downward this vertical appendage is of some interest because its expansion is like the tail of a fish 
it suggests the possibility of having been used in a similar way to the caudal fin as an organ for locomotion in water though it is possible that it may have also formed an organ used in flight for steering in the air the tail vertebrae from the cambridge greensand are mostly found isolated or with not more than four joints in association they are very like the slender type of neck vertebrae seen in long-necked pterodactyls but are depressed and though somewhat wider are not unlike the tail vertebrae of the rhamphorhynchus the pneumatic foramen in them is a mere puncture they have no transverse processes or neural spines nor indications of ribs or chevron bones the hindermost specimens of tail vertebrae observed have the neural arch preserved to the end as among reptiles whereas in mammals this arch becomes lost towards the end of the tail the processes by which the vertebrae are yoked together are small there is nothing to suggest that the tail was long except the circumstance that the slender caudal vertebrae are almost as long as the stout cervical vertebrae in the same animal no small caudal vertebrae have ever been found in the cambridge greensand the tail is very short according to professor williston in the toothless ornithostoma in the chalk of kansas End of chapter 9